Hi, everybody, and welcome to Packers Unscripted. Happy New Year to all of you out there. From Packers.com, I am Mike Spofford, and he is Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field to talk about the conclusion of the Packers 2017 season. It ends with a 35-11 loss at Ford Field in Detroit. And, Wes, I know a lot of reports out there swirling around about possible changes going on within the organization. And let's just say that after the game, Mike McCarthy did not address anything about the future of what's going on with the coaching staff or anything else in the football operation. So it's not our place to discuss the speculation. We will wait until we hear from the head coach, which is going to be presumably within a couple of days sometime later this week. We will hear from him on what is going on or not going on. So with that, the final game of the regular season um, – not the way the Packers wanted to go out, certainly. 35-11, to 11, a rough ball game. Brett Hundley didn't finish his uh, stint as the starting quarterback, certainly the way he wanted to. A couple of early turnovers really kind of blew the Packers' chance to, uh, to make this a game and, and, and stay competitive in it. Yeah, I think the thing that stands out the most when you really look at the stat sheet once this thing was over was the four turnovers, four takeaways for the Lions and zero for the Packers. I mean, that, that was going to tilt this ball game so significantly. Mike McCarthy said afterwards he actually was relatively happy with the way the Packers started this football game. They had made the decision earlier in the week uh, that they were going to try to go for that surprise onside kick <laughs> if they won the coin toss. Yeah. And there you go, Mason Crosby doing one of the things that he does best. Jermaine Whitehead makes a tremendous play on the ball to get the Packers the football at the 49-yard uh, line. As they've done basically every single time Hunley's been under center, they drove on that first series, and then you know the pass a little bit behind Jamal Williams ends up being a drop, turns into an interception, and the the Lions are able to to get the ball there. But Packers actually end up forcing, I believe, the three and out defensively. Green Bay gets the ball back, actually ends up kicking the field goal to go up three to nothing. So things were kind of working in their favor, but slowly between the drops and the the missed tackles and everything kind of culminating together the game slowly got away from them. Yeah, when you turn the ball over twice in the red zone with scoring opportunities there in the first quarter, in a game that you know you're playing uphill from the beginning. Right. You've, got, you've got some starters on the field. I'm not saying this was an entire you know taxi squad type of lineup, but the Packers were using a lot of backups on both sides of the ball with some starters sprinkled in, and even some of those starters on the defensive side, I would say, were rotating in and out maybe more often than they would in a uh, usual regular season game. Situation. So you turn the ball over twice in the red zone with a chance to score early in the ball game. The defense does start out pretty well, even after giving up the one uh, deep ball 50 plus yards over the top. They hold the Lions to a field goal there. But then the Lions' big plays kind of kicked in. They got the the 54 yard touchdown to right. Kenny Galladay. They later on they get a 71 yard touchdown pass to Golden Tate when he's uh, wide open. Um, to the left side uh, for Stafford against the zone defense and the Packers offense after those early promising drives just never really got going until uh, getting a fourth down touchdown pass late in the game to Randall Cobb that uh, that you know gave you maybe some hope that uh, the Packers could close the gap a little bit but it just didn't happen. Yeah, pretty much the same drill in this game and it's been sort of the the downfall of the Packers in the second half of the season offensively got out to a relatively fast start slow down, have some three and outs, have some big three and outs where Hunley's taking a sack on third down, and that leads to some negative yardage as well. Ends up the field position battle, I think, weighed heavily, especially in that first half. Packers punting, Justin Vogel punting out of his own his own end zone 
two or three different times. Yeah, and then you also have the uh, the mistake on the punt return where right. you end up muffing a punt because one of your blockers gets blocked into Trevor Davis, who's just trying to make a fair catch, and the Lions, you know, get the ball in easy scoring position. That, that's, you know, the game just started to snowball the wrong way. Yeah, and that's a tough spot for Donatello Brown, too, because I, I guess i got to go back and look at the film. I don't remember him working as a jammer the last few uh, games. That's, I think, another thing with all the injuries that happened. Josh Hawkins, as you said, ends up rotating with Devon House at cornerback. Lindsey Pipkins makes his first career start, the undrafted rookie cornerback out of uh, excuse me, Oklahoma State. So, yeah, it, it just it was. I think there was just – there were some guys that stepped up. I mean, you, you look at, uh, you know, the, the manual birds of the world that sort of came out of nowhere to make a play, uh, and even some of the vets. I thought Clay Matthews and, and Mike Daniels played really hard, but across the board, inconsistency and just not being able to take advantage of opportunities and having some unfortunate turnovers, I think, ultimately just led to this game being out of sight for the Packers once we got to the fourth quarter. Yeah, so as the final score uh, reads, 35-11, to 11, the Packers finished the season at 7-9. and nine. Um, as we talked about, obviously the eight game or eight season streak of going to the playoffs comes to an end. Just the second sub 500 record in Mike McCarthy's 12 year tenure. And what it ends up doing now at seven and nine, the Packers, it looks like, will be picking 14th in the first round of the NFL draft. Uh, just to explain a little bit, they tied with the Washington Redskins at seven and nine for what would be the 13th and 14th positions. Uh, strength of schedule is the first tiebreaker is actually dead even between right. the two. So they go a little deeper into the tiebreakers and it actually comes down to a common games tiebreaker. You have to have a minimum of four common games with that opponent. And the Packers and the Redskins both played the Seahawks, the Vikings, the Saints and the Cowboys. They both played five games against those four opponents because Washington played Dallas twice. The Packers played Minnesota twice. In those five games, the Packers went two and three. The Redskins went one and four. So because the Redskins were worse, they get the 13th spot. The Packers get the 14th spot. The upshot of all that explanation, Wes, is that the Packers have the highest draft pick they will ha- they have had since 2009 when they drafted B.J. Raji at number nine overall to be 14th. The, the highest draft pick the Packers have had since then was 21st when right. they drafted HaHa Clinton Dix in 2014. So uncharted waters, but a tremendous opportunity for this organization. It is, and, and as you said, Mike, I mean, you look at 2009, that was the last time. That draft was the last time they were coming off a season in which they didn't go to the playoffs. So um, this is the, the silver lining, the consolation, if you want to call it that. You do have a chance now, whether it's going to be offense, defense, whatever they decide to do with it, yeah. there is an opportunity, not only in that first round, but in those other rounds, too, picking a little bit earlier to try finding a difference maker. They did it with Haha Clinton Dix in 2014, picking 21st, and I thought that had a big, really uh, a push for that defense to really solidify that safety position. Absolutely. Now we'll see what they can do with this one. Yeah, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about that when we go to the Combine in February yeah. <laughs> and all that, but for now, we're going to toss it to a break, back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair, Wes Hodkowitz in that one. And Wes, uh, some big pieces of news we haven't had a chance to discuss yet because they occurred after our 
final show of the previous week, but uh, before the Packers kicked off against the Detroit Lions in the season finale, and that is uh, two key pieces to this Green Bay Packers offense re-signing, signing contract extensions as they were in the final, both players were in the final year of their rookie deals, and I'm talking about receiver Devontae Adams and center Corey Lindsley. I think it was pretty obvious that these were the two uh, biggest free agent priorities or yeah. pending free agent priorities for the Green Bay Packers, and really good news that they got both of these guys back into the fold without even approaching that March deadline of free agency. Well, the nice thing is with getting the deals done with both Adams and Lindsley, the way that that works is you're able to basically prorate a portion of their signing bonus towards the 2017 cap. So that makes it a more palatable contract over the length of it. So, you know, you're able to spread that over th- four years instead of three. Uh, th- that goes a long way with contracts at times. So very smart and savvy from the Packers from that perspective. But at the same time, it also rewards both Devontae Adams and Corey Lindsley for kind of betting on themselves this year, playing this thing out, seeing what they can accomplish. Um, Lindsley had the offseason surgery on the ankle. He felt like that was going to be something that could clean up the lingering hamstring injuries, the leg injuries he'd been suffering. He ends up playing every offensive snap for the Packers this season. Then Devontae Adams, he had that big breakout year a year ago, but people right. were still kind of wondering, can he do it again? Not only did he do it, he did it with Brett Hundley at quarterback as well. He was able to establish that momentum, that rhythm and timing with Hundley as well. And I think when you just look at his physical gifts, Mike, the fact that he just turned 25 on Christmas Eve, uh, this guy was going to be one of the top free agents, not only at the receiver position, but in the entire NFL. So uh, for the Packers to get both of them locked up now, I think that says a lot about them in terms of the, the, the two prospects they developed from that 2014 draft and now their ability to kind of continue to grow within this offense. Yeah, and I think what you said about Devontae Adams and what he did with Brett Hundley, if there were any questions about him, you know, building and and repeating what he did in a in a breakout 2016, he did it with Brett Hundley at quarterback because at the end of the day, the Packers won 3 games with Hundley at quarterback against Chicago, Tampa Bay, and Cleveland, and Devontae Adams had a pretty significant role in all of those victories he really was Brett Hundley's go-to guy and and when the offense was clicking when it was uh, getting some things done with Brett Huntley at quarterback a lot of it had to do with Devontae Adams I'm you couldn't be happier for the guy I mean he did everything he had to do obviously you hope everything with the concussion the the second concussion that he sustained in 2017 unfortunately everything from there goes smoothly and he comes back with no issues but uh but we even saw on social media Aaron Rodgers awfully happy yeah. that uh, that there's no concern with Devontae Adams going elsewhere. Yeah, and Randall Cobb even talked about in the locker room after the game on Sunday night. I mean, here here's a guy who came into Green Bay, I think had pretty big expectations because of that, that history, the legacy they've had of second-round draft picks in Green Bay, really becoming Pro Bowl-type receivers, difference-making type receivers. And Adams, he had to take the long, hard road. I mean, the first year, kind of broke out a little bit, stepped in that number three spot, was a good complimentary piece for that offense. The second year, a lot more was going to be asked him without Jordy Nelson. He ends up injuring his, his ankle in the first week of the second week of the season. It lingers the entire season, wasn't the same player. Right. He had so many doubters, so many questions, you know, so many questions were being asked about him going into that third year. And then you really started to see what he can do. He's ever, ever so confident in his abilities. So I think that went a long way. And then just to touch on really quickly, Mike, when you look at Corey Lindsley, uh, I think this says a lot about Lindsley because this is the first time the Packers have really extended 
and given a second contract to a center since I believe Scott Wells. I was going to say Scott Wells, I think, was the last going one. Going into the late yep. 2000s. So yep. uh, for them to feel like Lindsley's the guy there, I think it's it's it, it fills a huge need because there wasn't an heir apparent, obviously, there. I mean, they were going to have to make a big move there if Lindsley didn't come back. Right, so absolutely. Now you bring him back. You have Lane Taylor extended earlier this season. You have to see where things are at with Brian Balaga, you know, if, if Jari Evans wants to come back or not or what the plan will be there at the right side. But as far as having those three pieces together with Bakhtiari, Taylor, and Lindsley for at least the next three seasons, a very, very big thing for Aaron Rodgers now going forward. Yeah, there's a there's a foundation there certainly on the offensive line. There are some questions both injury-wise and, and with Jari Evans and, and his decision about his future, exactly what, uh, what the right side is going to look like in 2018. And with regards to the receiving core, I know a lot of people are wondering with Jordy Nelson's contract, Randall Cobb's contract, and now Devontae Adams getting his new deal, how is this all going to work out? Is somebody going to be the odd man out? I don't know how this is going to work out. I will just say this. The fact that the Packers, going back to your original point, that they signed both Lindsley and Adams before the season ended, it changes, and we'll see how things come out in terms of the numbers, but it certainly changes what the cap number for both of those guys is in 2018. Right. So what I think it does, however this shakes out, is it gives you more flexibility with what you want to do in some of these other financial contract situations than you would have had if both of these guys take it all the way up to March and then you yes. don't have that option of counting some of that signing bonus and some of that money against the 2017 cap. And keep in mind, too, because this has become a big narrative and I just want to dispel one notion. Let's say I get paid $1 million for four years to write and report for Packers.com. Boy, that'd be nice. It would be nice. I don't. A lot of times with NFL contracts, it isn't just two hundred fifty thousand, two hundred fifty thousand, two hundred fifty thousand, two hundred fifty thousand. The way that these contracts go, just because it's X amount of dollars, you just don't divide it by how many years it is and say, okay, that's the cap number. It's a lot more complicated than that. And yeah. I, I think one thing people are not thinking enough about is the fact that the first year of an NFL contract, a second contract. Typically, it's not a huge cap hit. It's more right. towards the end of it. So another thing to keep in mind when you start trying to become micromanaging and doing all these couch GM decisions. Right. It's not necessarily a huge cap hit because they're getting all the money in the signing bonus. Right. And then, then they're getting a lower salary Based in that first year of the deal. But then the signing bonus is prorated over the life of the contract in terms of the salary cap. So it is, uh, you know, it is a numbers game, and uh, and the Packers are playing it. And so the cap keeps going up, too. That's another thing it to does. consider as well. It absolutely does. With that, we'll toss it to a break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford right here. Wes Hodkowitz all the way over there. And Wes, I got to tell you, we need to talk about this. The way <laughs> this last playoff spot in the AFC was decided in Week 17, there wasn't a lot of playoff drama in Week 17 compared to maybe some other years we've seen in the past. But the way this AFC thing went down with the Baltimore Ravens, all they had to do was stop 4th and 12 from the 49-yard line in the last minute of the game at home against the Cincinnati Bengals to go to the playoffs. They blow it. Not only do they allow the 4th and 12, they allow a 49-yard touchdown pass. Baltimore hands its playoff spot to the Buffalo Bills, 
And thanks to 4th and 12 from the 49 by the Cincinnati Bengals, the Buffalo Bills are in the playoffs for the first time since 1999. This is one of the crazier... The league is crazy. I get that, and I talk about it all the time. This is one of the crazier ones I think I've come across. I... I... It... I couldn't make any. I couldn't make heads or tails of any of this. To be honest with you, I think I'm still kind of struggling with it. Uh, so, all right. So here's what happens. You and I get done covering the game. I was still writing my notes, so I was kind of like in tunnel vision until probably I'd say like 8 p.m. Central Time. Yeah. On Sunday night. Similar so to me. Finally, have a chance to sit back. And you were obviously working on Insider Inbox, but I finally had a chance to sit back and start watching what happened. And the first clip I see is of Micah Hyde and the Buffalo Bills in their locker room watching the monitor in their locker room after after they got their you know stuff taken care of and that play unfold. Uh, it is amazing, I think, for that franchise to be able to accomplish that this season. Um, let, let's be honest. These are the storylines that I think make the game the most compelling. Yeah. And for the Bills, through all the ups and downs this year, and there certainly were a lot of them for them. I mean, there's the issue, almost a disaster with the quarterback situation midseason. Their defense fluctuated. They bring in Calvin Benjamin. So many different variables to it. For them to be able to get in the playoffs, I think, especially in an uneven year like this where there are really only two bona fide like, front runners in that conference, um, you, you have to feel great for them. Yeah, you, I mean – what a day for the city of Buffalo, really. I mean, when you start, when you when you're looking at the clips of the fans at the the sports bars watching oh, yeah. the end of the the end of the Cincinnati Baltimore game, and their franchise is is in the playoffs for the first time this century. It, it's it's one of those days, regardless, Wes, of what happens in the playoffs. They have a tough matchup, obviously, going down to Jacksonville in the wild card round. All of that. It's a game they certainly can win. Yeah. But regardless of what happens in the playoffs for the Buffalo Bills. Those fans of that team are going to remember New Year's Eve 2017 for a long time. Yeah, and I'll tell you this too, Mike. Uh, if I'm the Bills, I want to play Jacksonville right now. Yeah. Jacksonville has a lot of questions to answer. They're limping into the playoffs. Two straight losses. Their offense hasn't done much at all. Um, you know, the defense going through some ups and downs. You know, losing that game to Tennessee. Tennessee had a playoff spot on the line, had to beat a playoff team in order to get it. And they did it. So as much as the ups and downs also for the Tennessee Titans, hats off to them for getting yeah, in. Yeah, like you and I predicted at the beginning of the season, Buffalo and Tennessee were the natural wild <laughs> You know, they were the favorites oh, yeah. for this We thing, saw it right? coming from a mile away. Um, but I, I think it goes back to what you and I said before, and I don't want to turn this into the, you know, we're going to rip on Blake Bortles here for two and a half minutes, but when you have inconsistent quarterback play, it doesn't matter how good your defense is. It doesn't matter how good your perimeter weapons are. You have to be able to protect the football. Bortles hasn't done it in the last two games, and it's really come back to hurt the Jaguars. In credit to Marcus Mariota, he did what he had to do. Their running game did what it had to do, although I'm sure Derrick Henry isn't going to be talking to his relatives about his 28-carry, 51-yard performance. You did what you had to do to be able to get in the playoffs. And uh, Dick LeBeau, that defense, they're yeah. going to make one more run at this thing. It's yeah, they're going to give it another shot. All right. Before we go to a break, though, Wes, picture this. You and a friend are sitting VIP in plush leather recliners watching the Packers on the 50-yard line at Lambeau Field. Nice picture, isn't it? Well, if you enter Cousin Sub's Best Seats in the House promotion, you and a guest could win a chance to kick back on the 50-yard line in style. Two pairs of lucky Packers fans will be chosen prior to each home game for this VIP experience. For complete rules and eligibility, go to Packers.com slash Best Seats and subs we believe in better back with more on Packers unscripted right after this
Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz. Wes, quickly before we go, let's touch on where things are in the NFC playoff picture. Week 17, basically nothing changed in essence. The Atlanta Falcons beat the Carolina Panthers to get the sixth and final spot ahead of the Seattle Seahawks. All the positioning, everybody else one through five, nothing really changed. I know you and I have both mentioned in Insider Inbox and in other settings, we're both kind of high on the New Orleans Saints and their opportunity to get back to the Super Bowl. They lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Week 17. Not necessarily a whole lot at stake for them in the grand scheme of things, but does that loss change your feeling at all about New Orleans? I don't think so. Although that, I don't know if you saw that post-game handshake between Dirk Cutter and Sean Payton. No, I missed that. Yeah, it's it was. It was it was strange. I'll okay. just say that it was okay. it was very physical. I'll just let's just put it that way. But uh, I I really don't. Um, certainly, I, I don't think they were pulling very many punches. Drew Brees played in this game. They had Kamara and Ingram out there. Uh, but I I just think when it really boils down to it, the potential is really there for them to be able to get on a run here. I'll be honest with you, Mike. As far as the NFC is concerned. Any of these six teams, realistically, I think have a shot at this deal. I agree with you. I, I was just talking with uh, with our producer, Marvin, before we turned on the cameras here, that uh, in the AFC, I have a hard time seeing anything <laughs> aside from New England and Pittsburgh as the AFC championship game. Yeah. In the NFC, I'm with you. I could see any one of these six teams representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. Somebody's going to get hot. Maybe even a couple teams get hot, and we end up with an NFC championship game for the ages right. from this field. I can see uh, any one of these half dozen uh, making it all the way. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at like the Cowboys beat the Eagles six to nothing. I mean, it was just such a strange weekend uh, yeah. with how this this game played out. Uh, they need to be better from Nick Foles. I mean, he's going to have to be a guy that that leads them to where they need to go. Because again, a defense that can get them there. Minnesota, I think, ended up leading all three major defensive categories this season. So certainly, you know, the blueprint is there for them as well. I'm just really, I'm really curious to see that NFC South. I, you know, whether it's Carolina, whether it's Atlanta, if they can get on a run, I think there's some really dynamic offenses there, and I think they have defenses that can get it done. It's going to be exciting to watch. Yeah, Atlanta gets a chance to defend its NFC title, and the winner of that Carolina New Orleans game could yeah. be a team to uh, to watch out totally. for. But with that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com and on Twitter. You can still find him at Wes Hod. I am at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in everybody. See you next time.